Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gypsy Poet Radio. I'm the Gypsy Poet, and this evening we are featuring a director, producer, and actor who has blown away audiences and Hollywood itself with his stature as well as his cult status, and he is awesome. Please welcome the one, the only, and the fabulous Craig DeMuck. <laughs> well, hi, everybody. <laughs> that was a great introduction, I got to tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. Well, you are to me, you are legendary status, and you deserve it, and I wanted to give you an intro that matches it. So that is my <laughs> gift to you. you. <laughs> I appreciate yes. that. You know, and, 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 and it took a few years in the running to get the status. You know, it didn't come easy. <laughs> But of course. here we are. <laughs> you know, as our friend Maximilian once said, he uh, he said, everybody wants to be famous, but nobody wants to work for it. And I absolutely love that statement because he's right. He he totally is. And he is I, I absolutely the- right. Yes. Yes. And I was on. saying, my whole goal ever since I was a kid, seven, six, eight, eight years old, with a bad stutter – with a bad stutter, I never thought about being famous. I just thought uh, get away from bullies that bullied me because I stuttered. And but uh, but it was the the passion for being an actor, movies that drove me. Not why not to be famous. Why but to go on the big screen where I would not stutter. So I had something to prove to myself uh, about that, and it drove me. Not to be famous, but to self-confidence and to show to the world a stutter, a handicap, would not hold me down. That was it. Not being famous. Mm-hmm. Amen you know? to that. And, and, and you've yeah. accomplished a lot. I In the last four decades, you've accomplished a heck of a lot, man. So kudos to you for everything that you've been doing. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Or what introduced you to directing films? Yeah, directing, producing, writing. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, well, actually, who it was. Yeah, I tell you. I told you as a, as a kid, northern Minnesota, I had a, mm-hmm. I did, I had a, a bastard. I was even held back twice in school because they thought I was slow. I just thought different. And who, and, and as little kids, I live uh, on a beautiful lake called Lake Vermilion in northern Minnesota, in one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. And it was so nice. Um, my parents and my grandparents had a cabin on Lake Vermilion, north, northern Minnesota, and this couple from Newport Beach, California, to get a getaway from Newport Beach was one of like the one one uh, Mr. Busby, one of the heads of one of the major magazines like uh, Life Magazine. And he and his wife, Busby, they'd come up every summer for at least a month or more. And they would bring their next-door neighbor up with them because she loved northern Minnesota, 
a fisherwoman, this and that. <laughs> and it happened to be Kay Olson, Rock Hudson's mother, in the 50s, the number one biggest star in the world for decades. And as luck would have it, <laughs> um, they sold their cabin, and Kay Olson stayed with us every summer. And that was like, like five, six years old, all the way up through high school. And she, I was like the grandmother, surrogate grandmother that she, I was, I was like the grandson she would never have for obvious reasons. She became like family to me and two years, Rock Hudson himself. Rock Hudson, he's the, he's the one that really drove me. As a kid growing up, I started watching movies because I, I would go watch all his movies and, and I'd pretend in the, playing as a kid, eight, nine years old, that I'm going to make my own movies and my own presentations, and I'm going to be a star in movies because I won't stutter. And at age 13, since Halls for Christmas time, and there's Rock Hudson. And I said, Rock, <laughs> like family, it says, someday I'm going to be in movies just like you. I said, well, why do you want to be in movies? You will, Craig. He says, because I will not stutter and will not be bullied. <laughs> And he said, you will. Through the years, I, I, I ended up taking, uh, it, uh, held back twice, mind you, bullied this and that or not, became um, a musician in a rock band. I took all the acting classes that I can. And, and I ended up graduating. And this is with the influence of certain teachers, my family, Kay Olson, Rock Hudson himself, influenced me. And I ended up graduating at the University of Minnesota with a double degree in theater arts and journalism and film and moved to L.A. Moved to L.A. with no one gave me a chance. I even stuttered when I moved there, and within the first eight years there, I had the number one talk show, and I stuttered on it, on Group WTV Public Access in L.A. And I put Koan to produce two of the top cult films now in the world. And that, and what drove me, what really got me into films, to directing, producing? Well, <laughs> it was my passion to get over my stutter. And through the years, I, I realized that I can help other people with some handicaps. I became like a <laughs> people looked up for me for what I did for them. To you can do anything you want, and was rock Hudson of all people, <laughs> biggest star in the world, told me I would. So that's kind of what happened. <laughs> I like that. You know? And and of course Rock Hudson is uh, a legend in the film history books and and to have a mentor like that is quite an amazing feat of excellence. Um Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you already answered my second question, so we can skip that one. We were going to go straight to the third one, which is what is the what's the best part about directing a story? The best part of directing the story is, uh, you, you know, I, I told as a kid, I, I, I wrote my little stories uh, in the woods with my play friends, and I, I like a story then. I said, you know what, and boom. Uh, I had stories. I said, well, you know what, someday I'm going to make my own movies, and boom. So um, I got to tell you, uh, not all my stories are, I mean, they're they're out there. They're horror films, they're wild films, but they use my imagination. And one of my first films I ever saw as a kid, I was, seven, I was age seven, my mom 
Love horror films I would watch. Shock Theater with my mom. And there was The Wolfman. I was the first one I was The Wolfman. And I said, geez, I'm going to start doing this. So when I moved to L.A., I did the movie Malibu High with the three friends. And I, but I also wrote a story called Microwave Massacre. I wrote it and uh, yes. for class. And then two years later, said so, uh, the people that work Malibu High said, God, that's a great story, Greg. How do you come up with this? Well, just totally different. I want something different. I always wanted something unusual. No one, one else, right? And I said, you know what? My my, my instructor in UCLA gave me the hand because it was totally different. I said, well, yeah. If I want to make a movie, produce a movie, direct a movie, it has to be something out of my imagination that I love. And if I love it, I, I really want to project to the audience by directing and producing it my feeling about it, and they like it, I've really succeeded. I mean, taking someone else, I mean, there's other big films in the past, other people directed them, they have maybe gone nowhere or whatever, but they might have taken someone else's story, directed it, without the passion behind it. Granted, Microwave Massacre, but can't be about cannibalism, but what made it great and why it's... it's the dark humor about is I took this real person, Jackie Vernon, <laughs> turned into a cannibal because he couldn't stand his wife's cooking. But he was a meat and potatoes guy, and and uh, his life was terrible life, and how carelessly he became a cannibal, uh, and uh, but he but he became like a hero to all his people at the construction site. Of all things, so it was this character, a real person that people uh, people could relate to, even to this day. Said God, you you directed, you produced this story about this Donald. That's an everyday character. Obviously, everyday characters like him would not <laughs> will not think about beating their wife up with a salt shaker and then cooking them in a the microwave. <laughs> but it's just that this guy. But, but car- all the people vicariously watching the movie lives through him. Says, "Jeez, I won't do that." But jizz, that's the way I feel about my life. And it says, "Craig, what, what, what? Your film is not one of the top cult films in the world. It's because you captured that, and that's the that's the way I felt in making Microwave Masker. <laughs> it was a real story, anyway, Campbell or not." I had to use real characters when I write it. Like my last film, A, De- a Tabo Identity. It's a documentary, but it's about, about real people, Kate Parker, you know? That's what makes me want to produce, direct, whether it's horror film or whatever. It has to be about the humanity of the person. And that's why I like to direct a film and produce. Awesome. You've done various shows in your time. Tell me about the, this one called Hollywood Showcase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it, yeah. The, the Hollywood Showcase <laughs> came up. Uh, I, I moved to LA late seventies, uh, right after college. And, you know, and, and, and moved there. I, I left out. I told you about Malibu High, a major call film that the three of us put together, <laughs> not knowing anything. We got in and Mike Ray Master. Well, what happened was. Uh, 
you know, I, I have a background in acting. I stuttered or not, I, but I, you know, that, and it was the acting, the improv that helped me get over my stuttering or at least not worry about it, cares, you know, I'm doing it. I'm on the stage, they aren't, and stuttered or not. So early 80s, this guy approached me. The name was Michael Morrison, like 1982. He comes up and says, Craig, could I do some improv stuff? He says, God, you you joke about stuttering. He says, you have a, now you have a celebrity stuff. You made a movie, but God, you're a funny guy. How would you like to do a TV show? So I'm producing this show, like Group W. I'd love to produce your show and be behind it. So early in 1982, <laughs> I go down Group W and we start producing this show called Craig Muckler's Hollywood Showcase. And I made, made no bones about that I stuttered, but I had this personality. And I said, yeah, this is going to be the Hollywood Showcase. It's going to be fun, different. My version of Johnny Carson, but it's going to be Johnny Carson meets Saturday Night Live meets meets uh, Ed Sullivan with my with improv. My very first show, boom, I had Alan Holzman on. Alan Holzman was stuttered. Stuttered, 1982. He did a film called... Um, uh, Forbidden World, and he produced, he directed his first film for Roger Corman. The guy stuttered for, and five years prior, he was his top editor. <laughs> of all shows, I have a stutterer on. Like, how is this going to work out? Is, are we going to get through the whole show without saying one word? <laughs> you know, <laughs> without stuttering, but wow, what a way to start my show. Alan Holzman and, and stutter. And Roger Corman himself, icon, sent a print, a trailer with Alan to personally show on my TV show a trailer from Forbidden World. So who viewed this, my first show? My, my hero also, Roger Corman made all these horror films. Watch my very first show. And there's Alan Holzman stuttering, stuttering on the show. It was phenomenal. The rating, right off the bat. So, well, what a different show. And then I started doing these other shows, and my stutter actually started I started losing it. Because why? I, I lost the fear of stuttering. Because who cares? I have a, all these people watching my show. Why do I care if they stutter or not? They, they like me for what I do, yeah. what I do. And it didn't stutter. So what an impact that had in the long run. That I became influenced with people with handicaps. I could care less if I stuttered or not. And my show became the number one radio show on public access group W for years, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like I said, you've overcome a lot in a short amount of time, and you have accomplished feats of excellence. And, well, thank um, you. I mean, it's up and down. Not everything uh, turns out like you want, but that's the name of the show business, you know? It is. Yeah. And I and still strive. Happy. I mean, yeah, thank you. I mean, mm-hmm. then a microwave masker comes along. It took three years to get it released because no one understood it. And then when it was finally released, <laughs> mm-hmm. in 1983, it took three years because no one understood Paramount Pictures are going to pick the thing up. But they couldn't because we don't know how to release it. There's, there's nothing like it. But when it did release in 1983, it erupted as the number one cult film and was the number, one of the top three money-making businesses in the country and number one in England. 
<laughs> I was crazy. And, uh, I mean, I thought, gee, we have this bomb, and then look what happens. I should have known something, though. Uh, we had a screening for it a couple of years before, <laughs> and this is true. I said, geez, Wayne, we, this is going to be tough. And we made this film. I have investors, and we had no place. It's no one's picking it up. And I had a screening at the Beverly Hills Screening Room. And there, on screen, screen number one was Big 20th Century Fox, and screen two was my little movie for distributors. And the door opens, and five minutes into the film, this guy sits behind me, and Wayne, my director. And these people come from the other Big 20th. says, Tim, Tim. Uh, you're in the wrong screening room. It says, and Tim O'Leary, the guru of LSD, one of the most famous people in the freaking world. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, in the world, they, they listen to everything he says, but, you know, at the end, of, he said, I'm watching this. This is one of the coolest films I've ever seen. And at the end of the screening, he comes to my, this is Tim O'Leary, on the front of Life magazine, he comes up, Craig, he says, I mean, you haven't released this film? I said, no. <laughs> Don't one understand it. I says, well, they will. They will. It's Tim O'Leary. He says, you know, Craig, this film <laughs> is one of the coolest films I've ever seen since, 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 um, since, um, Fellini, Saracon. You're right there with it. He told me that. I mean, this is one of the, I mean, in the world. And everyone, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Life Magazine, all the stuff that they, they'd listen to everything he said. And for him to say that, I said, well, I hope it happens. But you know what? It took years. And, and now, in the last four years, re released to Arrow Films. It just named one of the top five cult films in the world of all time. Right there with Harold and Maude, uh Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Night of the Living Dead. And my God, the guru of LSD all those years late before was dead right on. <laughs> very, very cool. What, what <laughs> you know milestones what I mean? I'm seeing here? Yeah, milestones. I'm seeing this. I'm thinking, wow. I mean, you you are enlightening just as much as Mr. Novak was last week. Oh, wow. Just listening to this is... Like, I, mean, I just feel like I'm in the wonderful land of Oz, in all honesty. Um, yeah. yeah. You know? I was going to say that I know that I, I was going to say that I know that you're originally from Minnesota, but what, what city are you from? And here's a, a really important question What is the difference between your hometown and Hollywood? So, big difference. Well, the scoop is, you know, uh, as I told you, I was born and raised in, in northern Minnesota. And Virginia, Minnesota, was only like 15,000 people. Northern Minnesota, not even near the Twin Cities where, you know, the hub of a lot of stuff is. So, I mean, from my hometown, 1,000 degrees difference. Different, obviously. It's a mining plant. Uh, U.S. Steel, all, all this stuff. But that being said, it was still Virginia, Minnesota. So they had great schools, this and that, and they even had a junior college. So it was good. So they have for a mining camp. They had a lot of culture out there. So when I, I mean, when I graduate, when I after high school, two years at Wasabi State, and it was in all the college plays. I became an editor for the for the Norseman News in theaters. They had theater up up there. 
So you would think for a little town in northern Minnesota, the similarity is that they have players up there. I was in northern lakes, players with adults, as a, as a you know, in high school, I'd be in plays with, with them. I mean, and they always had you know, guys and dolls, these top players. So it was remarkable for a mining company that it was actually damn well cultured. And that gave me my, uh, uh, I had one of my top uh, uh, acting acting uh, instructors at Mesabi State. So he says, <laughs> uh, it's true. He says, Craig, you have what it takes. What happened was there was a, they were going to put a big play on called Long Days Dreams Tonight. Virginia, Minnesota. Eugene O'Neill, this classic play that would turn into a movie with uh, with a uh, with a uh, you know uh, famous actors actors. And I and and I went to audition for it, and the the, stu- the student director said, "Well, you know, he might not work out because he might stutter." There's no lie. So. Uh, a week before they're going to put the play on, Chuck Rowland, who had faith in me, says, "Great, we want. I want you. You have what it takes to take over this part of Edwin Tyrone. This other guy just can't handle it. Whether or not you, you're an actor. So I did this. I said, "Jesus, Eugene O'Neill. I'm going to stutter. It was the back of my mind. So what happens is <laughs> opening night, Pat, and this is God. Am I going to stutter? And here it is. The, the, the this Chuck Rowland uh, instructor uh, did major stuff, uh, you know, like in Minneapolis. But he came up there and had faith in me in little town. And opening night, three hours, and my parents were there, worried of how I'm going to stutter. And, mm-hmm. and I went through it. At the end of the play, I had a standing ovation. Fourth night, I had, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. All these people, my God, this, <laughs> this is Craig Muckler who stuttered. And, and I ended up winning the uh, award as best actor of the year in that college play. And the funny thing is, at the end, I had a reporter from a local paper come up to me. God. You were more remarkable. And, you know, interviewed me, and I stuttered the heck <laughs> To the reporter, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. But that yeah. play in Virginia, Minnesota, led me to uh, to the University of Minnesota, where I had faith and experience that I needed to go to one of the top ten u- universities in the world, University of Minnesota. Where I ended up graduating at the University of Minnesota Theater Art Journalism, film, and moved to two years later, um, within a year, to L.A. So yes, in a way, that little town of Virginia, Minnesota, was like a Hollywood to me. That everything I needed to train me for Hollywood in a town of fifteen thousand people. Wow, that is an amazing story. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> Pretty Great crazy stuff, stuff. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Um, so, what do you want people to take away from your films? <laughs> Don't eat people if you're can- if you're a cannibal. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I mean, they, I mean, they're they're different. I mean, they are. I mean, not that I've done that many films. I mean, <laughs> but my first two films, Malibu High, three of us did it. Larry Foldis, Tom Singer, and myself. <laughs> I mean, I just moved. To, I just moved um, 
from Minnesota to L.A. I'm, I, I went to a place called Tarzana, California. <laughs> and within six months, I, I, I'm managing a movie theater. And I'm taking classes at UCLA. And next thing I know, I'm taking this class with And next thing I know, three of us, punks, kids, decide let's form a, a company. We raised money, and we did a movie called Malibu High through Brooks Institute. And I got to tell you, we did what no one's ever done. Uh, Brooks Institute, this Larry Follis, young kid, was work, was going to school there. And we approached we approached uh, the heads of Brooks Institute on films, everything, to use their students. <laughs> We'd have a skeleton crew of, of only three professionals, Herb Berwick, our, our professional guy, and we'd use the crew, I mean the top students from Brooks Institute to do all the crew. And we used their little studio there. We made the movie Malibu Eye. No one's ever done that. And we did it. We used to it. And those students, one for one, they got credit in class. And I got to tell you, when we did Malibu High, we made a deal, and Crown International picked it up, cost 80000 they gave us the They gave us a check that equaled the budget. That hasn't been done. And within three years, we have a film, a film that I use students in, but the top students, and it went on its first, actually first year, Box Office International put it on, on the front of their magazine, this $80,000 film, first 60 days of release, $2.5 million. And all of those students that work with us got students. So anyway, yeah. after that, I always want to use my people. Oh, my God, we had all these students. And I got to tell you, 80% of them would come along and work with me on Microwave Massacre. And all of them, all of them, because of of us, <laughs> they had no idea. They would all work in the industry within a year because of what we did. No one else had done that at that time, but us three did it. And to this day, I'm still in touch with some of those people that we gave the chance back in 1978. No one else gave the chance. I mean, geez. And we went on, God, that has never been done. They had got students, they graduated because working on our film, and they got credit on a film, a feature film. Right? When they didn't even graduate with, you know what I mean? That's wow, pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was only well, in twenties. Right? with this idea, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, with just a little bit of time left on the show, I just wanted to say a quick shout out to the Williamson PR firm. Thank you so much, Joe Williamson, for bringing me Craig Meckler, and of oh, course, God, yeah. to yes. Absolutely. So I love. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Joseph Willen. I mean, brought me in. I'm. I'm uh, in the agency, and, and through him, I'm working. With, and you know, as a you know, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am an executive producer working on Dustin uh, Ferguson's film, Angry mm-hmm. Asian uh, Murder Hornets. This was developed <laughs> just months ago, and we did what no one mm-hmm. else has done. We did. I mean, he's right. a genius director, but we did. I mean, I mean, pretty much secretly, and did. My God, this. I mean, it. The day the the movie was finished, 
all of a sudden erupt in May about these hornets invading the country. I mean, we were on the cutting edge. They, that was the news. And within and now this month, the film's released, and now we are the news. How about that? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I just had to shout out Dustin Ferguson and myself. Uh, uh, this little, and it's, it's out in DVD now. <laughs> and that's all because <laughs> of Joseph Williamson put us together. Yes. Um, I got to show some love. Yes, I got to show some love to some people like Alan Johnson. Thank you so much for sharing the link and sharing the promos on Facebook, and as well as to Laura Gonzalez in Houston, Texas. Thank you, my girl, for uh, for spreading the love of GPR. I uh, again, I want to thank Joe Williamson. And if you are listening to GPR on this direct link, you can also find it on Pandora. You can find it on Spotify as well as Apple Music and or iTunes, and you can find it on iHeartRadio.com under the podcast. Thank you. So much for calling in and joining us on GPR, Mr. Craig Demuckler. You are an amazing individual <laughs> with a wonderful story. And uh, like I said before, I could just give you one big hug and just give you a kiss on the cheek. You are <laughs> It'd be great. You are the most. You're the most wonderful individual I've ever met so far. And of course, I got to. I got to send a shout out to Miss Catherine Coven Pacino. Thank you so much for sharing my link. Oh, on GPR. I love her too. She's going to be working with yeah. us. <laughs> yes. Yes, and of course. And just and quick, course, my, my oh, just quick, my, my director's cut of a taboo identity. I, I'm doing it. Uh, Kate Parker's story is going to be be back in, in theaters next year, and it all and that's a, a, a remarkable people, including uh, David Wall and Joe Sholin, the the most remarkable interviewer in the world, coming out again next yes. year with a new director's cut. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. All righty, Craig. It was a wonderful opportunity to get a chance to talk to you on GPR, and I, I want to feature you again, so we will be talking about that in the future. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and this is the Gypsy Poet signing off saying adio for now.